Hello, my name is Michael, and it's a huge honor for me to welcome you guys from all around the world to listen to another episode of Weird, Wacky, and Wonderful Stories podcasts with my favorite hosts, Shelly and Bella. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 66 of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Wait, there's a silence. This must mean that Bella's in work. I've got you all to myself. Yes, at last. <laughs> Actually, no. Because Bella was here for the interview with Ruth Roper Wilde but she is now in work when I'm recording the start of this. So apologies for that, but you only have to endure me for a couple more seconds until you hear Bella's sweet and beautiful voice. I hope she listens to this one back. Before we go any further, I would like to thank Michael, who sent us in the intro. Michael's all the way from Slovakia, so really do appreciate you sending that in to us. Don't forget, if you want to send us an intro, all you have to do is record it on a sound recorder on your phone, just like Michael did. And send it to mail at weirdwackywonderful.co.uk and we will include it on a future show for you. So we have with us today an author who we've been lucky to speak to before. She is the author of The Ghosts of Marston Vale, The Almanac of British Ghosts, The Roadmap of British Ghosts, and now she's got a new book coming out. The new book should be out around the week of around the 15th of December, so around the time that you're here in this show. So when you hear Ruth say later on it'll be out next week, that's it now, because we recorded this the week before you're actually hearing it. Okay, so run out and get it now. So without any further ado, let's get right on to the interview. So please welcome to the show, Ruth roper Wild. Hi, everybody. Hi, Ruth. How are you both? Yeah, really good. Thank you very much. It's always lovely to have you on the show. You always regale us with some brilliant stories and the research that you do. I know that you've done, as we mentioned in the intro there, you're the author of The Ghost of Marston Vale, Almanac of British Ghosts, and The Roadmap of British Ghosts. And I know you've got a new book coming out, which I believe is called These Haunted Times. These Haunted Times, Volume 1. Volume one. Okay, that's keeping us on the hook. Absolutely. <laughs> I love a good cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about these haunted times then. What have you researched? Well, as you probably remember, my previous books have started with a sort of theme. So Almanac was ghosts that haunt particular days of the year. And Roadmap was exactly what it says on the tin, ghosts that haunt roads and byways. And whilst researching those, what I tended to find was that people would write to me and say, well, I haven't seen a ghost down that road you're asking for or on that date that you're asking about, but my house is haunted uh. or the place where I work is haunted or a holiday cottage I stayed at once was haunted and proceed to tell me about their experience at wherever it was. You know, as the years were ticking by, as I was doing the other two books, I just added all that data to my database. And then for these haunted times, I, I went back through that data and then researched those to see if there was anybody else who'd also experienced something in the same locale as these people who'd written to me, if I could. These Haunted Times is very much about people's own stories, and I've focused on things that have happened within living memory. So these are all people's own stories that have happened, and obviously depending on how old the person was who'd witnessed it, they're sort of up to within the last, say, 70 years. Yeah. But the premise is that it's within living memory, so that's really the only premise of this book. Other than that, 
any ghost anywhere, no particular theme as to actual location. So it's made for some really interesting reading and some really interesting stories that people have written to me with. I've had a great time. How have you broken the book up? So I know that, for instance, with the roadmap, it was quite easy because you could almost break it up into counties, into the areas that the ghosts were seen. So how have you broken this book up? This one is just listed alphabetically by town. So because these were, if you like, a random set of stories, it meant you couldn't really break it into counties or areas of the country or anything because you might end up with areas that had you know, nothing in them, which wouldn't be fair. So I've just gone by town. So some towns have got several entries because it so happens that several people wrote to me or one person wrote with several experiences. So they're just literally alphabetically town by town. So you can just go through it and see if your town is featured. Then, yes, don't read it late at night. (laughs) Your town's in there. So what was your favourite? You know, it's funny that because I knew I was coming to talk to you guys tonight, I was trying to think about which would be my favourite. And it would be really difficult to pull a particular one out. There's several that creeped me out more than others. I mean, there's certainly, uh, you know, there's one where there's a chap who wrote to me. He, he runs a sound recording studio. And interestingly, he records for audiobooks. So a lot of his day is spent sitting completely alone in a soundproofed room steadily and you know with a very measured voice reading out to make an audiobook and if you can imagine that means that you need a really really quiet background and you need to be concentrating and so on yeah we know what that's like yes. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm, not so, I'm not so sure a haunted studio thing is necessarily what we need right now but okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah so he'll be sitting there sometimes, totally concentrating on the work. And of course, he has to be very careful because it's an audio book. He can't miss a single word. He has to follow the script absolutely because people are following this on you know, their, their reading devices. And the ghost in his studio will run its fingers through his hair. Oh, no. And because he has quite short hair, he describes that as, well, actually, they're running their fingers along my scalp. And, and he said it doesn't particularly creep him out that he's got quite used to it. But I just sat there and thought, I would not cope if when I was trying to sit here work and work on the ghost books, somebody came and ran their fingers through my hair. Wow, Ma- that's crazy. Maybe it was like a hairdresser or whatever. Or, doing, or an Indian head massage <laughs> yeah. or something like that. <laughs> Well, supposedly it's the ghost of a nun because the building that he works in is, you know, very, very old and has a a really long history to it. And the legend is it's haunted by the ghost of a nun. But she does do, if it is the nun, and of course we've no way of telling that, but whatever it is that's haunting the, the studios does get up to all sorts of tricks. Like sometimes he hires the studio out for, you know, bands to come and record who are, you know, setting out or whatever. And they'll be playing sometimes and trying to sort their tracks out and they'll put their guitar down on the floor and the guitar will slide along the floor. Oh. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I would be really upset if I paid for a nice guitar and it got thrown across the floor or pushed across the floor and scratched up and everything. Yeah. Well, apparently one particular big burly rock band lead singer was expressing his disbelief in in the paranormal or the supernatural whilst standing in the studio. And as he expressed this, the clock on the wall launched itself off the wall and hit him in the side of the head. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you, you know what? Just... Why did you find that funny? <laughs> I'll tell you I, now. I found it funny. <laughs> 
already, mate. <laughs> just, just before we called you tonight, I was saying to him, we need to get a clock in here so that we can, <laughs> so that we can like know what time it is when we're yeah. when we're waiting to call somebody. Never mind, we're okay now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll leave the clock. Perhaps now. not bother, eh? <laughs> Yeah. Wow. And then the the other one that really swings to mind that completely creeped me out, and it's. It's funny how sometimes the smallest snippets are the ones that really send the shiver up your spine. A couple wrote to me who live in the edges of London and they were walking their little son, who at the time was five years old, on the edge of Tottenham Common. Mm -hmm. And they were just walking along the bridle path that leads away from the church on the edge of the common there. When, you know, the little lad, who obviously at five years old, has no knowledge of this subject whatsoever just suddenly stopped and looked down at his feet with a really puzzled expression on his face and said, Mummy, why are the soldiers lying under the ground here? Oh, no. Mm. And, you know, it was just on the edge of the churchyard. So, you know, it is always possible that there are soldiers or whatever buried under there. Yeah. And to me, I just, oh, that's completely creepy that that child could look down and sense. Yeah. I remember when we were talking on a previous episode that we were talking about the whole idea of the stone tape theory. And one of the premises of that is that there is residual energy left over by a strong emotion or whatever that has imprinted itself on the fabric of time or that location and is now playing back to a certain degree. But how would you explain that with a dead body that isn't necessarily emoting or giving off any energy that we can measure that we're aware of, how would you then account for that? Well, this is where I always come back to when people ask me, right, so you write about ghosts, Ruth. Do you believe in ghosts? And my answer is, and it still stays the same even after, you know, this book number four. So four books worth of research, my answer hasn't really changed, which is, well, actually, I think there's more than one type of phenomena. And I think that there is therefore more than one type of explanation because. Like you say, something like that, the soldiers buried, unless they happen to be buried where they fell in battle, which I guess is always possible. But otherwise, if they were, you know, already dead when they were removed to that spot and then buried, well, there wouldn't be anything to emote to cause the stone tape theory. You know, that would already be a departed, just dead, cold body. So it wouldn't really fit within stone tape theory. Does it fit instead in terms of, you know, is that little child slightly psychic? Does he have extrasensory awareness and was just able to sense what was below him in the ground? There's all sorts of other theories that you could think about. But then would the little child have said, you know, if you can imagine, let's say, for instance, the child had X-ray vision. I mean, let's bring it down to, you know, sort of quite crude explanations and was able to see down into the ground. It wouldn't be seeing a person now. It would be seeing a skeleton to all intents and purposes. So bone, skeleton, something which I would assume would frighten the child. And yet the child said, I see these soldiers. Well, the other explanation could be that would support the stone tape theory would be that, you know, were there any battles that happened there? Was there maybe that you said it was like a church or something? Yeah, it was just on a bridal path that leads away from a church. A lot of times back in history, the churches were the places that people didn't mess with. So a lot of times that's where the injured people would go. Could be that that's actually where they died, not necessarily where they were buried. I guess, I guess. Do do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
it might be that what he was seeing, I mean, you're quite right, they would have taken injured soldiers to places of safety and a yeah. church would be seen as that. And perhaps what he was seeing was not the dead bodies under the ground at all, but the memory of the soldiers that were laid out on the ground, exactly. perhaps either waiting treatment or had just died or, you know, whichever. Because yeah. they wouldn't have had hospitals or anything, but they might have had like a little field station where they were trying to treat them, where they laid them on the ground there. Yes, I must admit it did give me quite a creep, that one. <laughs> well, I wonder if, just staying on that for one second, I wonder if rather than it being, we were saying that if the energy of the person laying there might not have been able to give off enough energy to create that stone tape effect, maybe the people stood around mourning them thinking about that person were able to generate an image of that person do you see what i mean kind yeah. of like the tulpa type effect where they're everyone's thinking of that person and therefore they create something that they gets imprinted on the environment well i guess that's sort of the thing though isn't it if you believe that there are many different things many different reasons that places could be quote-unquote haunted then who knows that they could all be sort of things that you know, different theories. It could all be things that actually do exist. We just don't know, do we? No, and I must admit, because I get so many different types of haunting, if you like, or types of phenomena that people write to me about, that's why I end up staying on the fence, if you like, and saying, well, actually, I think there's more than one theory and there's more than one explanation for what's actually happening here. There's several poltergeists making a feature in this particular book, this new book, These Haunted Times, where people have written to me with their experience of living in incredibly actively paranormally happening type houses. One particular one springs to mind. I had a chap write to me. He grew up in a house called Gladstone Villa, which just sounds like a haunted house to start yeah. <laughs> with. In Bargoyd in South Wales. Oh, I know Bargoyd. And he grew up in there from 1969 and the family moved out of the property in 1978. And they had so many different things happen. And he was very, very good about me interviewing both him and his mother and his friends from back then, sort of getting different people's takes on what they'd seen and heard while the family were living at that property. And it's absolutely clear that just so much was happening. Things were moving, noises, sounds. They'd sit there and watch things move sometimes. I mean, for example, one day when he was still a baby, they'd put the cot into the grandparents' bedroom because there was the grandparents, the parents and the, the small baby living in the house at the time. So they put the sleeping cot into the grandparents' bedroom and they went in there to the baby and found his pillow torn in two halves. Oh, no. Wow. Yeah, so they took the baby and cot out of that room and settled him into another room because a lot of the activity did seem to centre around the grandparents' bedroom. And funnily enough, it seemed to start not long after the family moved into the property. They heard what they sounded like, the loft hatch opening and something jumping down out of the loft. And it was almost as if from that point onwards, whatever it was, had kind of taken residence in the upstairs rooms. Mm. And it, it actually got to the point before they moved out in the 1970s where quite often the whole family would sleep in the lounge because they just couldn't stand to be up in the, the bedrooms where everything was happening. And even when they were in the lounge, they could distinctly hear footsteps walking about in the room above their head that would piss me off if i couldn't sleep in my own room because something up there decided it was going to stomp around and do stuff i'd be really mad i mean you get mad at your kids when you're trying to sleep and they're making noise right (laughs) exactly let alone having to put up the flipping haunting up there 
you know, his grandfather used to turn the television down when it when the footsteps says that they could all sort of look at the ceiling and, and track the movements. And his grandfather used to point at the ceiling and always be by ear now in his Welsh accent, oh, <laughs> pointing wow. as where he was going. But I mean, there was another night when his mother went upstairs. His father used to work night shift, so he would be asleep during the day at one point in their lives. So she went into the bedroom to wake her husband up to make sure, you know, he got ready in time for his night shift. And the ironing board had been placed on top of him as he was asleep. <laughs> So he's laying there in bed, asleep, with the, with the ironing board lying on top of him. Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's quite a heavy item for something to have picked it up is. and moved. Yeah, if that had happened to me, I would have sworn that it was Bella giving me a hint. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Get the ironing done. Yeah. Thing is, it, it probably was supporting some of the weight because, I mean, I'd like to think that if somebody laid an ironing board on me when I was asleep, well, I probably wouldn't wake up saying that. Never mind. <laughs> I'd sleep through it. You'd wake up though. I'd probably wake up. Yeah, I think. But yeah, what kind of a shock would you have to wake up with an ironing board on top of you? Well, and go, what... what are these? What are these flowers? What? What is this pattern? Oh, it's ironing board. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, excuse the pun, but what possessed a spirit <laughs> to? <laughs> Put an ironing board of all things. Well, I mean, what was it thinking? Well, exactly. What on earth is the the point of that? And it just, uh, I mean, literally, when you read the book, when it comes out, hopefully very soon, there's just account after account after account of the things that happened in that house while the family were there. And it's obviously affected all of them. When you think they moved out in 1978 and they're talking to me about it here in 2019, it had obviously affected all of them quite profoundly for the whole of their lives. I mean, the chap's mother is quite elderly now, and I spoke to her, but she st- she still said to me, I wouldn't ever want to have to go through that again at any point in my life. And she's a very elderly lady now, but it still bothers her what, what they lived through. And one of the witnesses that was a friend of his, when I contacted them, said, well, look, I just don't want to, to talk about it. You know, it scared the living bejesus out of me then, and I don't want people thinking I'm mad for remembering it and i just don't want to talk about it the guys from the spun network the supernatural paranormal and explain network that go out and do investigations they have been looking at a property in bargoid i know that that is apparently dealing with some paranormal and poltergeist type activity it would be really interesting if it turned out to be the same property well it would be actually as far as i know the property at the moment is standing empty so is this because property? Because after the family left it in 1978, it was sold on. The frontage was remodelled, and then for a little while it was a hotel. So you know it's had sort of several iterations, but eventually it sort of fell into disrepair and sort of the bottom floor got boarded up. And that's how I think it still is today. I think you're fine. We're talking about the same property. I know that this particular property ended up being a hotel, and then I believe either a pub or a restaurant for a little while. Yeah, that would be it. It sounds like it might well be the same one. It sounds like it's the same one. Wow. How weird is that? Well, there you go. There's the next show. we got to call them back up and go, hey. (laughs) Yeah. Small world. Yeah. Can you please tell Ruth about it and she'll put it in uh, volume two. (laughs) Yeah. Because apparently it might be worth letting them know that apparently there were a lot of rumours back in the 70s that opposite that property, if it is the same property, opposite it is a club called the Rafa Club. It's like a working men's club. And there is a rumour that there's a, a tunnel that links the two and that the, the Rafa club itself also has a lot of haunting and a lot of activity. Yeah. There is some sort of link between the two properties. So I'm pretty sure it's the same place we're talking about because he mentioned the Rafa club to me as well. So... 
How bizarre. They haven't actually managed to get into it yet. They're looking for the current owners of it. So, yeah, I'll have a word with them. I'll see if we can find out any more. That's really interesting. Yeah. Wow. Well, I didn't expect it to take this turn. <laughs> that's, that's really that's But that really just good. goes to show if, if they're hearing that it's still active now, and I've got this account through the 60s and 70s of the level of activity that was going on then, you know, then obviously... It just goes to show how it's not necessarily to do with the family that's living there. It's probably the property yeah. or yeah. something in the property or the land the property stands on. But the, the activity is localised rather than attached to a family. Yeah. I know that, just moving back a minute, for those people who haven't heard you on one of our shows before and are maybe are just discovering you for the first time, can you just let them know? Because I know that you've got some history in investigation. Yes. I'm a partially retired civil servant. So for 34 years career in the civil service, for 15 years, I was an investigator for fraud. And then for another 15 years, I was an investigator for bullying and harassment. So my entire career virtually has been spent in interviewing and collecting data and analysing that data to come up with an answer as to what happened. And so that's why I have this analytical mind when it comes to, okay, somebody says that such and such a place is haunted. I want to find the corroboration. I want to find somebody else who can tell me whether or not they've seen something there, felt something there. I'm very careful when I go out asking about places and asking for people's accounts, not to say what it is that I'm looking for specifically. For example, if it's meant to be haunted by the spirit of a young boy, for, for example, I won't go out and ask for, has anybody seen the ghost of the young boy? I will just go out and ask, has anybody had any experiences they can't explain in this location and that way I get back their, their sort of undiluted untainted accounts and that's where it gets really interesting as people either come back with corroborations or they come back with completely different things yet still very active in that one area and the other reason I do that is I don't want people reading my requests and thinking oh well I did see what I thought was a hooded monk at that property but she's asking about little boys so I better not write to her yeah I want to hear what everybody's seen or heard or felt in that location which is why I keep it very neutral what I let people know that I'm looking for but that does make it absolutely fascinating when the accounts come back in to match them up and marry them up you said that you had a couple of in some towns you had a, a couple of reports did you find any reports this time that were of similar or the same things and therefore corroborated each other yes i had bircham newton airfield is one where quite a few people wrote in about that and that's in norfolk and quite a few people had experiences there that corroborated and they were you know based over a number of decades so they weren't there at the same time as each other they didn't know each other and also people who lived in houses that border on the edge of the airfield have had some experience of paranormal happenings in their houses. So it looks quite like the whole site is quite active and still active today, even though it's not really much in you know use as an airfield now. So, yes, absolutely. I get I mean, that's just one example, but there's quite a few others where people write in. I'm very careful. Unfortunately, I have to be very careful because just of the nature of the world we live in today. Although I've got the data of which actual building we're talking about when I say, you know, a house along the high street or a house in such and such a road. I have to be very careful when I write the books not to publish the actual address. Absolutely. 
because you know unfortunately with the, the, the way of the world we live in there would be some muppet who would think it was a good idea to go and knock on the door and the current owner you know probably completely oblivious to all of this might get a sudden horde of people arriving on their doorstep and you just couldn't have that happen so I do have to be careful about not publishing the actual addresses but when people write to me I always ask them what actual number was that of the street to try and see if I can get correlations and sometimes it's quite interesting because what I find is that several houses in one patch so not the actual same house, but a couple of houses along one street are having similar mm. types of, you know, phenomena happen, which makes you wonder if it's the ground beneath them that's causing it rather yeah. than the houses themselves. Yeah, and also maybe the property in years gone by was a bigger property that was one property rather than now split into several Yes, or that there could have been, you know, a bigger property that was on the ground before it was knocked down. And, yeah. and these are, I mean, that's certainly the case. Funny enough, another one in Wales. I've done quite well for Wales this year. And I know <laughs> I'm going to pronounce this wrong. And I'm very, very sorry to the people that lived there. But it, it looks as if it reads Pan Gwyn Glaze. And it's on the outskirts of Cardiff. And there used to be a big mansion house there called Green Meadows. And that was knocked down quite some years ago. And there is now a housing estate built where the mansion used to stand. Now, the mansion itself had a reputation for being haunted, and now properties in the housing estate that stands on the land, so although they're modern houses, they they seem to have picked up the ghosts. Yeah, the um, ghosts are probably thinking, hey, look, our house got remodeled. <laughs> absolutely. What's this electric stuff then? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that just, you know, goes to show that that's one particular example where the, the mansion was destroyed you know, recently enough in history, it was demolished recently enough for everybody to be aware that it used to be there and that this housing estate was built on top of it. Yeah. But with England having such a ancient history, I'm sure there must be dozens of areas where there used to be buildings and we've just lost the record of them. And without an archaeological dig, you just wouldn't know, you know, that actually there used to be a big hall there or... A, well, we're know, not talking about be. England now, we're talking about Wales. Well, of course, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Did you say P-A-N for that town? Yeah, P-A-N-T, Pantgwyn Lace. Pantgwyn Lace, okay. So, yeah, um, I will absolutely apologise. My ability to pronounce Welsh is non-existent. <laughs> Not a problem. Me too. <laughs> so did anything within this book, within your research, shock you? I don't think shock me so much as it just always surprises me, and I think it will forever surprise me, that... If almost everybody can name some sort of occurrence when you actually get them talking about the subject. I so often have conversations with people who say, oh, I don't believe in ghosts. Oh, it's absolute nonsense. You know, that all these people have. Mm, actually, mind you, there was this occasion when such and such and such and such happened. Yeah. You know, when you allow people to just talk at their own rate and don't kind of foist an idea onto them, what have you, it's amazing how many people have experienced something. And because I go out and try and encourage people to talk, I get some threads, you know, on the conversations I get going, that'll get 80, 90, 100 comments going on them with people chipping in with what they know about an area and what goes on. And that always surprises me, that just how willing some people are and how many people are having experiences. And for me, that's the real proof, if you like, that, we might not yet know what's causing the phenomena, but we can't deny that there is phenomena because yeah. so many people have experiences. I mean, one paranormal investigator wrote to me 
you know, she does all the obviously, you know, goes out deliberately seeking the paranormal. That's that's her role as a paranormal investigator. But her particular experience that she wrote to me with was quite a simple experience in its own right. And yet inexplicable. She was driving home from work about midnight one night because she'd been working at the pub and so she does an evening shift along a road that she's very familiar with, but it's a country road, so quite dark, not very lit. And she was travelling, you know, at a reasonable speed, about 50 miles an hour or so. And all of a sudden, in her rearview mirror, right on top of her, there was a motorbike behind her or, you know, the single headlight of presumably a motorbike. She sort of took a second glance at it and thought, I didn't see you come up behind me. Blimey, you must have been speeding, mate. Even as she thought it, she she drove her own car around a slight bend in the road. It's not it's actually quite a straight bit of road, so it wasn't much of a bend. But as she went round the bend, the motorbike headlight completely disappeared out of the mirror of her car, you know, the rear view mirror. Hmm. And yet it had been really close up behind her car. So she looked in the mirror again, thought, Well, where did he go? There's no turnings off that bend. There's no gateways or anything, because she knows the road very well. And then of course it concerned her. Oh my God, I hope he didn't come off because he was going faster than I realised and that's why he'd come up behind me so suddenly perhaps he was really speeding and perhaps that bend was too much and he, he slid off and that means I'm the only person who knows that he's come off so she turned her car around and, and went back to look to you know to find if if somebody had come off a motorbike and even though she pulled over and looked around nothing absolutely no sign of a motorbike no commotion no anything wow. and nowhere it could have turned off so she carried on home thinking, oh, I can't really explain that but the following morning she was still really bothered about it because she thought I know that was a motorbike headlight in my rearview mirror I know that was a motorbike came rushing up behind me and it was dark and it was late and I was tired maybe I didn't search well enough and maybe that motorbike had gone through the hedge or something and some poor guy is lying in the field injured and I'm the only person that knows so she got up early and went back in daylight and properly searched and then was absolutely able to satisfy herself there was no skid marks there was no you know damage to the hedges around there there was nothing to show that a, a vehicle had come off the road or anything and there was certainly no sign of you know anybody being injured or you know a crash or anything and at that point she had to admit well I have no explanation for what it was that came up behind me then. Yeah. So a very simple, brief sighting of a motorbike in your rearview mirror, but nevertheless with no explanation. Mm. And it's that, you know, from the very simple that I'm sure a lot of drivers who are busy listening to music or didn't know the road that well, so perhaps wouldn't know whether there was a turning off it or not, wasn't as switched on to the paranormal as a paranormal investigator is, would just have seen a headlight in their rearview one minute and gone the next thought, oh, well, he's turned off. Yeah, and never thought anything more of it. Well, as a motorcyclist, and I know you are too, I'm glad that she went back and checked anyway. It's really nice to think that somebody went back and checked because, you know, uh, I'm sure you're the same as I have. I've often ridden my motorbike very late at night on dodgy, slippy roads, and if you did come off, it could be quite difficult for people to find you, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, I'm particularly glad she did go back. I actually came off mine once and was laying in the road with, with its lights on and its engine running, and my foot had got trapped under the engine bar. So I was oh, trying right. to wriggle around, get my foot out from under the motorbike. And a car came up behind me, put his main beams on to see what was laying in the road, put his indicator on, carefully drove round my head and carried on. No wow. way. <laughs> Truthful. Oh, going, How do you know I'm not lying here bleeding to death? As it is, I'm completely uninjured. I just My foot's trapped, can't get my foot out. 
Um, or maybe that car wasn't really there. Oh, there you go. That's what you're thinking now, well, isn't it? You never know. Yeah, that could be the I'm answer. I'm simply offended by the indicator going on because there were no other vehicles around. So the only person he was indicating to was me, i.e., it's okay, I'm not going to run your head over, but neither am I going to stop and help you. What an idiot. <laughs> Why? So, yes, at least you did go back and check. Um, unlike myself the other night, who thought I saw a ghost on the road only this week and was too scared and too much of a coward, despite everything I write about, to actually go back and check. <laughs> shame on me well it's funny because that's that's what winds me up about some of the programs that you watch where they're going out to look for these ghosts and then they actually find something happening and then they run the other way you know well, they switch the lights on and and switch everything on like with without waiting to see if it happens again and i must admit you know normally when i when i go out ghost hunting I do absolutely double check everything and I go back and everything. But I was on my own this e- this particular evening. I was coming home from somewhere and it just frankly creeped me out and I didn't have the guts to go back and check. <laughs> and I'm not going to pretend otherwise. I saw it and thought, yeah, OK, going home. <laughs> Looking at it logically, if you were on your own anyway and it's night time, then I think you probably did the right thing. I mean, the last thing we want to do is encourage people to, you know, if they see something odd, get out of their car in the middle of the night and go and investigate it because, you know, it may be someone who's living and sometimes you've got to be more frightened of those. Absolutely. I'm going to ask you a question that you don't necessarily need to answer, okay, because this is possibly one of the more risque questions I've ever asked when we're doing an interview. Well, hang on then. Well, no, not that kind kind of risque. (laughs) Are you religious is the question, and if so... How does your research either support or contradict your belief? I am actually atheist. So I actively don't believe in a higher authority, higher being. So my research, therefore, isn't affected by my belief at all, really, in that aspect. I guess the only time it would be is if people were to tell me they thought they'd seen an angel or a demon or something that was particularly, you know, had a particular religious connotation, then I would have to take that at the face value of of their... Do you find people don't do that very often or, or that they do? So far, I've had very little experience of people putting their religion into the question of whether or not what they saw was paranormal. I've had one or two people say... Actually, I don't really believe in spirits and so on because I'm a Christian and we don't believe, you know, that in that aspect in my particular branch of Christianity. But nevertheless, I've seen such and such and I can't explain it. So I've had one or two people mention their, their, their religion in relation to what they're telling me. But mostly it hasn't come into the equation at all. People just haven't commented on it. And I haven't asked them whether they have a religious belief or anything. And I've not had anybody come to me and say something that, you know, to give me a, a, a very religious interpretation of what they saw. A lot of people are just completely puzzled by what they've seen. I think it's a very interesting question about how much religious belief plays into. Because one of the things that when you look at some of the older accounts of ghosts, and particularly when I was researching for the previous book, Roadmap, and some of our roads are so very ancient, aren't they? Yeah. And you have so many accounts where 
you can kind of tell that the original story has a religious twist to it where it's well this was such a bad person he's been damned to perform in this way as a ghost because of his wicked lifestyle you know it's it's a penance for what for how he lived his life and he wasn't godly enough and so on you know and an example of that is the father of Anne Boleyn who is apparently doomed to try on the on the night of the date of her death he's doomed forever apparently to try and drive his coach across seven bridges to, to leave the manor house that she was born in and do a circular route around the countryside going across seven bridges and back before the cock crows and he's you know doomed to do this for all eternity as penance for his involvement that eventually led to her death you know and his pride in putting his daughter into the position he put her in when she was so young Hmm. a lot of the older stories have that kind of religious spin to them that there is a ghost there because you know they did something that offended god and they're being punished for it but i wonder whether that's just a interpretation of something that's happening and it's you know that's putting a spin on something that's seen or heard the thing is i mean this is going on sort of a tangent but a lot of religions have aspects to them that are kind of paranormal anyway i mean you've got like people that believe in not reincarnation especially but but yeah well even that that you keep coming back and you keep coming back until you get whatever it is whatever that lesson is. I mean, that's that's kind of the same sort of thing, isn't it? Almost as like penance for things or, you know, even with Jesus and the whole Passover thing and he comes back and, you know, obviously not trying to offend anybody that is religious or isn't or whatever, but, but there are a lot of religions that have a bit of a thing that just make you go, hmm, to them. Well, it is really interesting I remember as a child or a, a young teenager, I should say, probably about, I don't know, 13 years old, 14 years old, something like that, getting quite offended by Von Deniken and his book, The Chariot of Gods. You know about that, um, don't you? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I read that book, Eric Von Deniken, yeah. Yes, I was fairly sure he was twisting what was written in the Bible to fit his own theory. And I was so cross about it. I mean, this is the investigator in me, honestly. I I clearly followed the path I should have done as an adult (laughs) because I read the whole Bible cover to cover twice, finding all the references that he quotes and looking to see whether he was quoting them in or out of context. You know, and, and very often he was putting a context on them that wasn't there in the actual original version in the Bible. And that, you know, it just... You can sometimes make some things in, I mean, I don't know much about the other religions. I haven't read their religious texts, so really be fair of me to comment. But I do know with the Bible, quite often people will put a a paranormal spin onto something. But if you read the original paragraph, it clearly isn't paranormal. Yeah. There are some bits in it, you know, that you think, well, actually, that's a bit odd, guys. (laughs) Yeah. Is that not what you'd call a ghost? (laughs) Well, yeah, being Um, visited by the Holy Spirit, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It is really interesting. I mean, there, there seem to be so many correlations around the world with so many different type of things, doesn't there? It's the correlation of things that does always fascinate me. I mean, that is the big question, really, isn't it? Is there? Isn't there? Could it be? Could it be this? Could it be that? Well, I think that one of the points that I wanted to get to when I asked you that question was that, obviously, you said that you were atheist. And I suppose is that, do you think then 
that there is an afterlife. Yeah, I'm not going to guess, commit one way or the other on that one. <laughs> yeah, no, I just wondered because obviously, you know, we're, right looking, we're looking for explanations about ghosts and, you know, stone tape theory is obviously one of them. But then you've got possibly intelligent, and I use that word loosely, but intelligent ghosts whereby you mentioned this one about the ironing board, the poltergeist entity putting the ironing board onto the person sleeping so there was some thought attached to that that wasn't a replay there was some thought attached to that to actually place it on them so yes we could be looking at dimensions but then also we could be looking at an afterlife or we could be looking at like you said some kind of purgatory so yeah i just wonder what your take was on that i know this is i know this is all supposition and so i'm not tying you to anything i'm not saying ruth has the answers and this is what it is just want your I opinion. I did. <laughs> no, because my thought has always been, and and still is, with collecting the data and writing the books, there must be more than one answer to all of this. And I don't yet know enough, and I wouldn't presume yet to know enough to be able to give an answer on any of it. My hope is always to collect the data that somebody else will then, in future times, hopefully read these books, put it together with other data that other people have collected and find the actual answer. Because some of what I collect, I would say, strongly points towards the possibility of an afterlife. Because people will tell me about things that have happened that only their Aunt Bertha or their you know Uncle Joe could possibly have known about or whatever. And you know it does strongly suppose that that spirit has come back and therefore that person is having some kind of afterlife. And then there's other things that seem to fit more into stone tape theory or that seem to fit more into are they being projected from the mind of the person observing the phenomena or is it something like an elemental or is it any other theory you care to name really. But there are some things that happen and some accounts I've got that, that would suggest the possibility of afterlife. So I'm, I would never dismiss it, you know, and I certainly I've been on quite a few of the commercial ghost hunts now and seen mediums working. And certainly, you know, some of the things that happen there would suggest an intelligent answer, you know, an intelligent being answering. I've seen some quite interesting things go on at some of those that have, you know, sparked my thought. Yeah. That would turn to suggest afterlife. I don't yet have my own spin on which I think it is. I still sit on the fence with it all because well, I, that... I honestly think I'll end up with the thought that there's more than one explanation. Well, it's good that you are on the fence about it all and that, because that makes the books that you write more interesting, I think, because you're not trying to put your spin on anything. You're just trying to write it all down. You're like a scribe almost. Absolutely. In fact, actually, that's a really nice description of what I do. And one of my favourite feedbacks from one of my readers and it is one of my all-time favourites, was somebody wrote to me and said, I've just read Roadmap. I've thoroughly enjoyed the book. And what I loved most about it is the entry about my village. I was one of the ones who was taking part in that social media thread where you were researching. And I'm so thrilled to see that you have faithfully written up what everybody told you and not embellished it in any way to make it more spooky or more interesting. You've simply said what people have told you. And I'm thrilled to have read it in the book, so faithfully rendered. And I thought that's that's one of the nicest things people could have said to me, because that's exactly what I try to do. If they tell me that the, the paranormal thing that happened to them was simply a soft sigh in their ear, then I write it as a soft sigh in their ear. I don't try to embellish it or make it more spooky. Yes, and you could say that's a, a breeze of wind. You could 
put any explanation you want on it. But that's their experience that they've given me. So that's what I faithfully reproduce. And of course, you know, I write it into a full paragraph, you know, so that it actually reads properly. But I don't embellish on what they've told me mm. ever. So, yeah, that was absolutely one of my most favourite feedbacks, because that's what I try to do. I try to faithfully say this is what is happening to people out there. If you read it in my book, somebody has genuinely told me that entry. Can I say for honest that everybody is being honest with me and giving me their stories? Of course I can't. <laughs> I don't have a, you know, a way of foolproof telling whether people are being truthful with me. But I've no reason to suppose they haven't. I think that that relates back, though, to you being an investigator, doesn't it? Whereby you're just collating the evidence and you're putting it together to eventually, hopefully, come up with some kind of conclusion. Or if not provide a an accurate written statement which i know is is you know a big part of investigation is getting that written statement down so yeah an honest researcher wow brilliant (laughs) (laughs) and i honestly i don't believe although you know i stand to be corrected as i get older who knows i don't believe i will ever be the one to give answers i truly think that my role is just the data gatherer and i do that because it fascinates me And because it absolutely endlessly provides just such insight into what people are seeing and what's happening out there. And guys, honestly, if you read Roadmap, you'll be like me and not want to drive around at night on your own anymore. Yeah, that explains Um, why you kept going the other day, right? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I think the trouble with this whole subject is that by the time you actually find out the truth, it's too late. (laughs) Yeah, I suspect you might be absolutely right there. (laughs) (laughs) The lights will either go off completely or we'll find ourselves in an afterlife. In which case, in my case, I might find a whole host of angry ghosts waiting to talk to me. (laughs) Why didn't you believe we were actually in an afterlife? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, they'll be looking for the royalties. That's what it'll be. You've made so much money off of my story. (laughs) Yeah. So tell me... Where can our listeners get hold of your new book and when is it out? Hopefully it will be out by early next week at the latest. It might even go live on Sunday with a bit of luck. So very imminently is the answer to that. It will be out and live and it will be available on Amazon as both paperback or as an ebook. Or if you happen to have Kindle Unlimited subscription, you'll be able to read it for free. So three different ways to get it. You can either download it on an, onto any kind of either Kindle device or a Kindle app on your phone or your iPhone or whatever you've got. Or you can buy it in paperback if you prefer to hold a real book in your hands. So just in time for Christmas and definitely a present worth getting your loved one or friend or whatever who may be interested in the paranormal or any of these types of subjects because having read Ruth's books in the past I can wholeheartedly recommend them they are written in an honest a factual and yet interesting and well-written manner so really do recommend people have a look at that where can they get hold of you if they need to get hold of you and if they've got some other stories that may feature in volume two possibly or you can get hold of me by email so anybody can email me on wa-1400 at hotmail.com or if you just google ruth roper wild and it's spelt w-y-l-d-e for those who don't yet know me that will pick up all my books all my social medias and you can get hold of me through my social medias as well so twitter instagram pinterest facebook 
there's all sorts of ways to get hold of me or there's also an amazon's authors page you can get hold of me that way as well there is a question i've been burning to ask you since we spoke last the last time we spoke we spoke about your book the roadmap of british ghosts and there has been a question that has just been playing on my mind go on then (laughs) did your sister change her route home (laughs) i suspect she's avoiding the road that i found that was only three miles from her house (laughs) that has a ghost on it. So I think she's secretly avoiding that road at night. But much to her absolute relief, I didn't find one on her actual route home. (laughs) So, but there is, she tells me there's a, a bridge on her way home that she's pretty sure has got something so one of these days i'm going to find the ghost related to that bridge <laughs> and then she will never ever ever forgive me wow wow <laughs> goodness listen ruth thank you very much for spending your time with us again on this friday evening always a pleasure to speak to you both i really do appreciate it and like i said listeners really do if you get the opportunity pick up this book you've been told where you can get it they are well worth a read ruth's books and i'm sure you won't be disappointed Okay, Ruth, thank you very much. Thank you very much, guys. Take care. Bye now. Bye. Well, we really enjoyed speaking to Ruth. She's always a good guest to have on the show. She's always got some fantastic ideas and thoughts, and it's lovely to pick her brains about what maybe her opinions might be on some of these. I appreciate that sometimes it is just opinion because none of us have the answers, but it's good to hear anyway. We've got some exciting shows coming up over the next couple of episodes. We've got... One of the foremost researchers in the UK on crop circles we're going to be speaking to. And also we've got another interview coming up with a lady who runs a database for near-death experiences. That's going to be a really interesting one as well. So stay tuned for the future episodes. Make sure that you follow us just the way you have done in 2019 because 2020 is just around the corner. And we've really enjoyed spending our time with you during 2019. It's been absolutely fantastic. The support that we've had from you guys has been absolutely phenomenal. We hope to take it further, get bigger and better in 2020. Our next episode after this is going to be released on the 28th of December. And then we're into 2020 on from there. So please do have a great Christmas from both Bella and I because obviously we won't speak to you before then. Make sure you have a lovely time. Make sure you stay safe and you enjoy the time that you have with your families. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. You can also visit our website, www.weirdwackywonderful.co.uk for any more information about our guests and the shows. You can also hit the contact page on there to send us an email or you can email mail at weirdwackywonderful.co.uk. If you are looking for some last-minute presents for people, don't forget to check out our website for our merchandise. I'm going to be working today on putting some things up on Amazon Merch as well, so we'll have an Amazon account as well as our Redbubble account as well. So do please have a look on there. And if there's someone else you know who loves the show, it might be nice to get them just a little something, and it helps us as well. So until next we speak, please do stay weird, wacky, and wonderful.